1: what's up everybody fightful edition february 16th fightful mma yours truly at showdown joe on social media joined as always now by on thursdays uh by ufc hall of famer frank trigg you can follow frank on, follow frank on social media uh at frank trigg uh we're so happy to have you on every thursday except for one thing frank i already took a shot at you because i figure if we're going to start this podcast you're already gonna take a shot at me it's seven thirty six a.m where you are Twelve thirty six here i already worked out i already got my lunch in what's up my man
2: I'm just waking up. <laughs> That's how it works. it's funny that uh, uh, our time zones are so different that you actually forget. Like, so when I make phone calls to the East Coast, you're like, "Hey, good morning." They're like, e- "Afternoon." <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, I forgot, man. Yeah, I forgot." What are you doing? I'm eating lunch. What are you doing? Uh, I'm making eggs. <laughs> that, I mean, it's a it's a little weird phenomenon. I'm trying to I'm still trying to get around. It. It's been almost two years. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. But I do have a question for you. It's February the sixteenth. Obviously, Valentine's Day was February the fourteenth. Do Canadians celebrate Valentine's Day? Stop.
1: Stop right there.
2: Yes, we
1: actually do. Uh, Valentine's Day was fantastic. Uh, It's safe to say it's February 16th. It's two days, 48 hours since Valentine's Day. Uh, And I'm happy to say I haven't had one piece of chocolate. Although come Saturday, it's probably my cheat day. I'm going to devour all kinds of
2: chocolate. Bad, I know, but it is what it is. It's funny because I always have to remember, because I have so many friends who are Canadian, that I have to remember, Thanksgivings are different. But that's really the only holiday that's a separate one. and then, But still, most Americans don't realize <laughs> that Canada is a separate country. They just assume uh, would be the same thing.
1: Monday, we have a holiday that's it's fairly recent. I don't know how long it, it was instilled by the government. It's called Family Day. Uh, do you guys have any family day stuff like in the States
2: where it's a national holiday? Um, we have a holiday on Monday. What, President's Day or something is coming up. Like We've got something weird coming. Uh, we don't have a family day holiday, but we've got like you know, MLK Day, uh, Martin Luther King Day, uh, Lincoln's birthday, um, Washington's birthday. So it's like we have all these other like national holidays specifically for us. And I think, yeah, no, we don't have like a family day because it's um, uh, the the thing I can think of the closest is Memorial Day, which is still a military, you know, rep- you know, honoring the military uh, uh, of that, but. Yeah, we do not really like a family day per se. You guys are always ahead of the curve when it comes to stuff like that. Obviously, with your with your uh, uh, universal health care. <laughs> um, uh, oh, we're getting political. We don't want to do that. <laughs>
1: I'll tell you one thing I made a mistake about today. Uh, have you ever done Tabitas before? Tabata's. So it's just basically it's, it came from a, a Japanese doctor, Dr. Tabata. Uh, and basically it's, it's, it's hit it's, you know, high intensity or high interval intensity training. Uh, I did it on, um, I got a bike in my office here uh, and it's basically, you know, four and a half minutes, 20 second sprint, 10 second rest, 20 second sprint, 10 oh. second rest, and you do eight rounds. Uh, and what it basically does is it shocks your system and it just, just shocks your metabolism and you're just constantly, uh, I guess, sweating. So I did that about an hour ago, obviously took a shower afterwards and I'm sitting here wearing a long sleeve shirt cause you know, outside here it's minus minus probably 13 or minus 14 degrees Celsius, I'm literally sweating. I'm worried by the end of this podcast, I'll be a welterweight, guaranteed.
2: <laughs> nice. I actually have done tabloids, but I don't know what they were called. I just do as I'm told. So, yes. Unlike you who are like, hey, look, let me look this up. Let me figure out what I want to do. Do all the research. Get everything put together. Let me understand what's going to happen. I just go in and go, yeah, what, what did you tell me to do, Joe? Okay, I'm just going to do it. Like I, I'm just, but, yeah, doing, uh, doing those kind of sprints are integral. To uh, any kind of athlete, I don't care what sport they're in, but trying to get that system so that because there are times of every sport, whether it's baseball, hockey, uh, well, actually happens in hockey a lot. We're just kind of gliding around, and all of a sudden you have have uh, 10 or 15 seconds of full output. So yeah, it's super important for any kind of any kind of fitness level at all for any any athlete. I don't care if you're a marathon runner all the way through to water polo. So it was
1: actually Jonathan Chamber who first introduced me to it about five or six years ago when he was working with Rashad Evans, who absolutely loved it. And so you can do it on a treadmill. You can do it on a bike. You can do it outside. You can do it with bodyweight exercises. What it basically is, is like I said, those 20 seconds max effort from 80 to 100% max effort and then 10 seconds of rest. But let's say you do it on a treadmill. Well, you got to put the incline pretty much as high as you can. And you've got to put it up at sprint mode. So you sprint. For those 20 seconds and then you step off and you wait the 10 seconds go back on and sprint the same thing with the bike what I do is I crank it as, as as hard as I can possibly pedal and I go for those 20 seconds. I can't wait for the weather to get warm. I definitely want to try it on a track because obviously when you're sprinting uh, on a track or on grass or on hills, I mean, your 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 cardio and your lungs just go through the roof. But literally, it's eight minutes. It's So it's 20 seconds, 10, 20, 10. Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's not eight minutes. It's, I think it's four and a half minutes. But by the end of it, you're absolutely drenched. Now, I remember when I first met you, it was, it was Stephen Quadros... Myself uh, and Alex Capricci at Apex days. Uh, this was this is 2003, I think it was. And I remember when I first met you, you were in the gym, and I was looking at your forearms, and I'm like, this guy's sweating through his forearms. Like, how does he know how to get his body to do that? And that obviously comes from wrestling, I'm assuming. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Because we so back in the day with wrestling, it, it's changed now. It's completely different. We're kind of uh, Neanderthals when it came to it the way we started. But it was we'd walk into the room, and the wrestling would be 85 degrees when we started. And so if you, if there's, and it happens, like people don't necessarily sweat out of every pore in their body. And wrestlers learn from years and years and years of being in these hot ass rooms and doing max effort, whenever we shoot a takedown or trying to do sprint drills or whatever, that the body's got to cool itself. So every pore then becomes uh, necessary for releasing heat and she's obviously sweat. So it just keeps dumping all the sweat out. So I, I sweat through my fingers. I sweat through my hands. Like it, it's really strange. I go work out and people don't even want to touch the same stuff that I've touched because I put sweat all over it just by, just by holding it and working out with it. Not even like laying on top it, putting my body on it. Cause I still sweat through my hands. It's been years since I've been in that kind of temperature, but my body still sweats out of every pore. Do you find when you walk into a gym,
1: a dojo or anything that even if you're not there to train just to do something, you automatically start sweating?
2: Um, No, my heart rate accelerates for sure. Like when I, when I walk into a spot, like I'll, I'll definitely get that. that Oh, I got to start. Like my body wants to start warming up. my the mind um, controls the body and my mind automatically. My subconscious automatically goes, "Hey, we're in a dojo, we're in a we're in a gym. It's obviously we're here to train. We're not here to screw around. We're not here to mess around." So my heart rate and blood pressure will start to raise to get my internal temperature up because it knows. My mind thinks at least, "Hey, it's getting ready to start training again." So we just automatically start warming up without even trying. And I notice myself because my heart rate's up, my blood pressure's up. But I start fidgeting and I'm rocking back and forth and then I'm like I'm shadowboxing. I'm just standing there talking to somebody and I'm, I'm screwing around. And it's like, I'm, it's like a, 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 I'm full of all this extra energy, but it's not necessarily conducive to what I'm trying to do at that point in time. But my body just automatically does it because of the situation I'm in.
1: Yeah, so it's it's you know, it's funny because when I do go to a gym and I've obviously, you know, being blessed of who I am uh, and, and able to build a profile that I have in Canada, I can walk into any gym, especially in the greater Toronto area, even a little further out, and, you know, I've got an open, a- open path all access pass to train anywhere i want but when i go visit people just to say hi because i'm in the area I, I i get those jitters i'm like yeah you know, those guys are working takedowns but that's a nice submission. i, I want to train that and i'm like i'm not even here to train it i'm by the time i leave there i probably lost a good you know half a pound a pound of just sweating and i'm like well that, that was nice wearing a suit and tie dummy <laughs>
2: uh, it's awesome to watch you sweat like they have that little streak because your tie doesn't 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 get sweaty but the shirt around it gets sweaty <laughs> so you yeah, have like this there's a line on your body. He used to to me all the time in my pride days. The wor- remember Bobby T? Say again? Do
1: you remember Bobby T from Sportsnet? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. He's such a jerk. He, we, we, didn't matter what city we were in, if we had to go film or shoot something, he knew. He's like, all right, Pitts, settle down. I'm like, what? He's like, just settle down, Pitts. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I remember there were times, because you, know, you wear those nice custom-designed dress shirts. Yeah. They're not designed to be, you know, you're not supposed to sweat in those things. And obviously, you have the pits under your arms, and he would bust my tail all the time. Yeah, like, let's go, pits. Come on, Get this interview done, pits. Let's go. You're not training here. Let's go. Come on. And I'm like, just a jerk.
2: <laughs> oh, that's awesome.
1: Uh... All right. We're going to get going here real quick at some MMA topics here. But before we start, uh, managing editor for Fightful MMA and Fightful.com, Sean Ross Sapp just sent me a message saying, ask Trig if he grew a beard so people wouldn't think he was Kurt Angle.
2: <laughs> No, no. I actually grew a beard because um, I, I've spent my entire life playing the heel, playing the bad guy. It's always been been um, kind of how I've done it. That's why all those those great shots when Matt Hughes and I fought each other, and uh, all the shots with Dennis Holman and, and Lawler, and like the reason why like I was able to get my career started and, and keep and maintain it maintained for as long as I did is by being, being the heel, like being the bad guy. Uh, in in acting and film, the bad guy always has a beard. If you look at how things work, the bad guy's always got a beard. So I grew a beard out specifically to get more jobs as a stunt guy, as an actor, because most Hollywood types walk around clean shaven and then go to hair and makeup and put a beard on. Well, I can I do the reverse. I'll show up in hair and makeup and have the beard, and they'll tell me, hey, we need to shave, we need to trim, we need to go do a Fu Manchu, do a goatee, whatever. I can do all of that that way. Um, it, it's funny, though, how much I do look like Kurt Lennon. My face is shaved. But it's been now, geez, I think it's been I was well, maybe eight months ago I had a shave for a part, and then I grew it right back. Like as soon as I shave, at that next day I'm just, I'm already starting to grow it back because you never know when the next phone call is going to come. Um, and my face has changed a little bit. I've gotten older, you know, so it's got a little different dimension to it than it did before. But I still look a lot like Kurt since since like it's been probably crap maybe five or six years. Because I really looked at it. But then that's one time I shaved like eight months ago. I was like, wow, like I really do still look a lot like him. We're both, <laughs> we're both shade clean shaven. Yeah.
1: I get the whole Pipple thing. Oh, God. Anytime Pipple is doing anything on television with those shades, and whether it's a Times Square thing on New Year's Eve or whatever, if he's hosting an award show, my goodness, as soon as he gets on that television, my social media blows up. My friends start texting me, and it's just like dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people saying, hey, anyone ever tell you you look like Pipple?
2: Yeah, no. I get it. Yeah, well, usual my answer is, you know what? No one's told that to me today. <laughs> exactly. <So> like, <laughs> what, what does it mean? Like, well, I'm not sure. It's like, look, man, I get it all the time. You know, it's and it's and it, the thing is that you have to kind of realize too when when it's like your friends and stuff, it's kind of it's kind of annoying when it's your friends that are saying like, dude, like this is you're the third friend today that's done this to me. Like, stop. Like, okay, but when it's like a fan, they're literally just trying to start a conversation with you because they want to have a conversation. But they don't know where to go, like how to how to approach you, because they've never met you before, so they don't know what type of person you are. They just see your persona on TV. They come up like, Hey, did anybody ever tell you to look like Pitbull? Like <laughs> I'm in, like, now I'm gonna have a conversation with this guy, it's gonna be great. And you're like, not today. <laughs> you're like, I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know what's happening. Well, so I'll tell you the
1: benefit bumping. of that is whenever I'm in, in South Florida uh, and I'm working for Titan and, or just in general, even when I was in LA, I had TMZ follow me one time. But it's safe to say when I'm walking around with a blazer and a tie, uh, all dressed up with the shades, uh, I, I do get stopped by uh, a variety of ladies. So I'm, I'm not complaining, Frank. I'm not complaining
2: at all. You know what? If, if you want to help yourself out, just change the sunglasses. If you wear different – because you wear pit sunglasses. Yeah, but if I love that. That's glasses. my style though. I love that style. Like, what, do you love it because it became big because of Pitbull? Or did you already have that style and then it became big because of Pitbull?
1: I already had that style, to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie. I I did nothing. There's nothing I can do with the fact that Pitbull and I resemble each other. There's nothing I can do about that. And the style, I just just love those glasses. So it was never done. I don't do anything because of
2: Pitbull. It's just, it it was what it was. Well, let's be honest. Pitbull's got a pretty good style. So (laughs) I I kind of followed some too. You know, he's got a, a particular look that really works for the bald guy. You know, he really understands. And it's funny, he must have a dresser or, or somebody that helps him with, with his clothing because he wasn't always that way. He didn't always dress that style, but that style works for the bald guy. And that's the thing is that trying to find a style that works, and obviously being a bald guy, it works for you as well. So it makes sense.
1: There you go. Speaking of guys who shave their head bald, George St. Pierre is rumored to return, Frank. Uh, from my understanding, uh, I did have some conversations with uh, the peeps over there in Montreal and those who represent George, uh, a whole bunch of them. Uh, the deal is still not signed. Uh, I don't think that's public yet. So, I mean, I talked about it yesterday. The deal is not signed just yet. I was told um, that, that the sentiment is... No one's holding their breath. It's been going on for six months. We all know that. But no one is holding their breath yet. Uh, and, of course, there was the, the sort of a few sticking points, obviously money. Uh, Elias Theodoro has been coming on this, on the podcast every Tuesday here and saying he's hearing like $10 million. I don't know what that means uh, in terms of, of per fight, if that means over a set amount of fights, if that means a percentage uh, whenever he does compete. Uh, and the other thing was Under Armour versus Reebok. Uh, and the information that I got is it's no different than Tom Brady. You now Tom Brady is sponsored by Under Armour. If you, if you Google Tom Brady and Under Armour, boom, you'll get right to the Under Armour page with Tom Brady uh, and the stuff that he wears. But when he wears a New England Patriots jersey, it's Nike. So in essence, if George St. Pierre is going to be competing under the UFC banner, he has to wear Reebok. Under Armour probably isn't happy with it. They understand it. But outside of the UFC, he's back to wearing Under Armour. What's your take on this
2: whole situation? Do we really care? I'm going to lose a lot of Canadian fans. I mean, does it really matter? We just saw we just saw what happened to Ronda Rousey, right? And they they put all their money, all their time, all their effort in, into, into building up Ronda against Amanda Nunes. And Amanda Nunes basically proved that Ronda can't strike. Still, um, I honestly believe the UFC was is they're in a position now because the new owners they're in the middle of a money grab. They're in the middle of trying to get as much money as possible and hit their bonuses, especially at the end of the year, um, uh, with, with with Ronda that, that allows everyone to get their bonuses. And you know that's how Danny makes most of his money. If there's a particular numbers that they hit, they get bonused out. So it's very interesting to see what they did. Like they should have brought Rana back with, with a, a, a lower level girl, a warm up fight. She's been out of the ring for over a year. Like give her some time to kind of get the ring rushed off and get comfortable. Don't give her a great striker, give her a mediocre striker, but a great grappler and let her get be tested in the space that we all know she's amazing at while she's still working on her, on her up game. Um, and that goes without saying. Whether you, whether you like or don't like her or her, her coach, uh, Edmund. that has nothing to do with that. This is just what the should have done with, with Rhonda. Ronda. Now with GSP, but the problem is with Ronda, and the reason why I mention this with GSP, that Ronda gets gets a particular certain amount of money every time she fights. She gets three million dollars every time she fights. So you can't put her on an undercard. You can't put her even on the early portion of the main event. You have to have her as the co-main or the main. You have to for that kind of money, which means she has to be in a big name fight. What big-name person at that weight class for, for the women at 135 pounds is there going to be for Ronda Rousey to fight besides the champ? There's no other really big name down there other than a Holly Holm rematch, which didn't make sense either at that time. So um, uh, with Ronda, they kind of threw at the bus. With GSP, is coming into a weight class that's long been since the days of Pat Miltich. That weight class has been on the map, on top of it. It's always been super deep. There's been six or seven people down uh, uh, the guy that's 10th is still very, very viable. It's a very good matchup. So you can put GSP down the lower end of the top 10 and make it viable and give him some victories before he gets back into it again. Because doing, you know, he can train as much as he wants. He can, he can be doing as much gymnastics as he wants. He can be doing all the sparring that he wants. It's completely different once you get back inside that cage. It's a completely different mindset. And now you're going on six months of a contract negotiation. That's a very long time to be like, hey, I'm about to fight, I'm not going to fight, I'm about to fight, I'm not going to fight. So he's going back and forth in that process. You've got to give him somebody. It has been my belief, I've said it before, you can go back and look up my other interviews, I've said if he comes back today, he is not in the top five. He will not break into the top five. He is a top ten fighter. As he was coming back in, even with the, even with the age coming into it, uh, his, his, his um, reaction slowing down, his mindset not being the same for when he walks inside the cage, because he doesn't have that repetitive, hey, I'm in here, Every year for the last couple of years, I'm going to be kind of okay. But the other thing with George is that he really only fought once a year. He wasn't a guy that was super active. He wasn't a guy that was fighting three or four times a year. So for him being off for a year, it's really not that bad. Him being off for 18 months, okay, he kind of can fix that. Two years, it's really not that. It's really still fixable to get him back in the cage and kind of be at the same level. Where most other athletes, if they been out of the sport for two years, they're done. There's no, they're not coming back in their bottom 20. GSP, though, gets the pass because he really only fought once a year. That was kind of his, his pattern. He'll still be in the top ten, just won't be in the top five. Um, he can't beat T. Wood at this point. Can't beat uh, uh, Thompson Wonderboy at this point. Um, those guys, the game has advanced so much. It's been amazing. Uh, I think he beats Johnny Hendricks again, but not in a split decision uh, when he'll actually beat him decisively because Johnny's fallen off quite a bit, which hurts me to say. Obviously, as a, as a, Johnny's a friend of mine and as a wrestler. Um, it, it's, it's one of those situations, you're kind of looking – at these guys, like how you have to have to line them up. Lawler, I think, beats him up still, you know. And so it's it's a very difficult matchup. But there are names that you can get him on now. If he's getting ten million dollars, he's got to be a main event, co main event. Otherwise, it makes no sense. You know, you know, it makes absolutely no sense. And what does he draw? Canada, of course, will come buy on. We'll buy for sure, hundred percent. Canada loves GSP. He shows up on an event. It's a pay per view card. They're buying the pay per view. They're buying everything wrapped around. They're going to watch everything wrapped around on, on uh, Fight Pass. It's going to be a big deal. But where else? There are so many new fans now to the sport that have never seen GSP fight, and these are diehard fans who are now going through all the archives, they are going through watching everything, and they've never seen GSP fight. He he retired when they after, before they became fans. So now it's a situation of well, who else is going to come on board? So is he is he is he worth you know, uh, five hundred thousand pay per buys? Is it with seven hundred fifty thousand pay per view buys? Is he doing a million pay per view buys? I mean, I don't, I don't see it coming out that way. So it's going to be very difficult for the UFC to to deal with GSP. For the first couple of fights, he gets out a two fight winning streak. He can do whatever he wants at that point. He can say whatever he wants. Um, he can do and pick, start calling out people like I want to fight this guy and fight that guy, and every fight's going to be amazing. Like that's what he can start to do. But the first fight back, there's still going to be these questions, especially after around the Rousey. This is the problem. If, it, if this had happened, if he got his deal done and, and fought in January, we really didn't have time to digest what happened to Ronda. We wouldn't have time to talk about it. He could have came right out in January, demanded whatever he want, done whatever he want, been in a, been in a title fight, and everyone would have been behind it and watching it happen. But now we've had time to digest what happened to Ronda. Now we're into February. He's not going to fight. He won't fight until April. If he signed today, it won't be until April that he fights. Right? So if, if it starts pushing further, now let so you look at May, June, July, we've got a lot more time to talk about Ronda. And feel, hey, look, this is what happened with her. She was a great champ. She was dominant, just like GSP was. She was crushing it. And then she got beat a couple times in a row. And everyone's going to go, oh, yeah, but, but uh, GSP goes off into the, into the sunset on a, on, a, on a victory. Yeah, he had a split decision victory over Johnny Hendricks. Where is Johnny now in the weight class?
3: He's and not. Now he's, he's a, a, a
2: 185. Tough like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's like, geez, he's not even in the weight class anymore. He, he can't even make weight. He slipped so far down. And now he's at the bottom of 185. So what happens with this this process, it lowers his his ability to be sold. It really does lower that ability. And one of the things now that fans are figuring out about GSP, and and this is how he runs his camp. I'm not making a decision on how he runs his camp. I'm just saying this is what fans are figuring out. He is having a very difficult time um, keeping up with social networking. He doesn't like the social network. He doesn't like to be on it. It's kind of a a, a problem for him um, because he doesn't want to be in the middle of that game. It's just not his mentality, which is great because – it makes them more focused on working out. I think too many athletes are too busy. Oh my god, I got to answer this guy back. I got to answer you like, dude, you're you've already missed the first round. Get get through your warm up. Okay, I'll be right there. And are too busy doing that. But people realize that when GSP does get on social network, it's not him. It, it's it's a company that he hires or a friend is, that's doing it for him. And it's come out that he's done these other things in the past. So he might change now. He might be different now. But then fans have a hard time getting behind somebody that's not authentic on social media because we are social media driven now. As a, as a world society, everybody, we're, we're, we're super upset that China, you can't get any information out of China because they shut down Google and they shut down YouTube. It's not allowed in, in the country. So social network-wise, we can't get stuff out. So a lot of the stuff we learn, and the reason why fake news became so big so quickly, is from social network. But when we realize that this is not a real person, and they don't have in their tagline, you know, a uh, uh, fake Joe Ferraro, they don't have it in their tagline, that, hey, this is a fake account. I'm just, you know, I'm just mimicking this person. It all of a sudden now becomes a situation like, hey, this is really Joe, and what he's saying, oh, gee, it's really not Joe. I thought I was talking to Joe for the last six months. I thought I was answering right to him, and that's why when I always talk to people, go, hey, look, sometimes it might take me a minute to get back to you because I am the only one that handles my my accounts. I am the only one that answers. I'm the only one that posts. No one else does anything. So if you don't like it, it's me actually doing it. If I offend you, I've actually offended you. It wasn't my cousin. It wasn't my brother. It wasn't some team I hired to do it. I'm doing it myself. And a lot of athletes are like that. You know, you you want to get a hold of. uh, You're talking about. uh, Elias, you want to get a hold of him, it's him directly. You want to talk about his luxurious hair, it's his damn hair you're talking to. Like it's not like some random person trying to get on social media and it becomes a problem. So now you're trying to get in the cell of the fight. To get the numbers up, it's going to be difficult to get new fans and grab new people. So I'm really interested to see how this pans out. I said a long time ago he's not the top five if he comes back, Uh, and I don't think it'll ever happen because he makes almost as much money doing movies as he does fighting. So what's what's his desire now? What's his motivation to come back? Is it a money grab because he realizes that that doing these little small parts in 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 Captain America: Civil War and all that stuff is is not really going to pay the bills? Is he got a larger overhead, or is there like BJ Penn, who I talked to intimately before his last fight? There was a real desire to come back. He really wanted to come back and fight. He really wanted to put the time in, put the time in, and just didn't work out for him. His speed is 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 gone. He got older. Father time has crushed him, and so he's he's not any good. What's going to happen with GSP? How is it going to be seen when he comes out in fights? They're going to have to pick it if they want to. If they want to push this guy, they're going to have to pick the right fights, the right fights for him, the right fighters. It's going to be really hard for UFC to get this guy in, and that could be part of the negotiation process too. Because GSP is one of the smartest guys, and, and when I say GSP, I mean everyone he puts around him, his entire team from from the Tristar Academy group, everybody from Faraz at the top all the way down to the, to the guy in the corner. Like he just keeps the best people around him and cuts the fat off. That when it comes to negotiation, he's probably negotiating his first two or three opponents. That that's my guess. I have no inside information on that, but that's my guess.
1: And apparently, uh, so that there's there's conversation in terms of who he could be potentially facing should he return. Uh, and the name Michael Bispin keeps coming up like over and over again. I mean, that, that's 185 pounds there. That's a middleweight champion. Um George would get an immediate title shot if that was to happen, if Bisping doesn't fight Romero. Uh, and there's also talk of like, listen, this, this whole thing with Bisping not competing and not really you know, engaging Romero per se as much as he usually would. Uh, he's healing from an injury. He's this and that, blah, blah, I, you know, there There's a lot of talk and, and stuff behind the scenes saying that, hey, you know what? George does come back. He fights at 185. But then this guy becomes – let's say he does fight Bisping, hypothetically speaking. What if he beats Bisping? Now you're the 185-pound champ. You've got to fight these monsters that are twice your size.
2: So, the, love Michael. I, I love Michael. He, he's a he's a, a terror when it comes to Mike. An amazing, and I, I want to say I hate him commentating. I really want to say that, but I can't. His commentating game is um, is incredible. Uh, um, um, how good is he as an actor? You know, I got you know he's he's got some work to do as an actor, but definitely you know definitely grabs the camera. Definitely makes the screen get you. Definitely get involved in his character. He's got some skill there. Uh, Right place, right time to become a champion. He really did be getting at the right right place at the right time to become a champ. Defends his first title against, you know, uh, retiring Dan Henderson. Um, the GSP fight with Bisman, it makes a lot of sense for both people. It's a great high-profile fight. It's a money grab for both guys. Bisman will get more money. Obviously, GSP, whatever dollar he's demanding, it's got to be over. You know, I, I got to think the $10 million is going to be over several fights. It won't be just for per fight, but I do believe that it's a type of package like that. Um, that it makes sense. Both guys are going to brawl. Both guys are going to strike. Bisbing is fresher because he's been in the cage a lot more in the last since uh, GSP's been off. Um, he's not going to do that much damage. GSP's not a damaged guy. Uh, like, uh, like Anderson Silva damages you. When Bisbing fought fought Anderson Silva, he got damaged. You can see the hurt. You can see the pain. i not not even talking about the drop in the third round. Like you see that, that damage he puts on you. GSP's not a damaged striker. He, he's kind of a karate point striker. He's not going to do, do a lot of beating you up, if he, which he could knock Bisping out. It's completely possible. But it won't be like he's been pounding him and him with hammers before he gets there and then knocks him out, wears him down. He's going to catch him at some point, kind of like a Machida. Well, I was saying you're just walking in, you're kind of – you're taking a couple pitter-patters, and you walk into that one perfectly timed, you know, perfectly placed punch that puts you on the canvas. You're not getting a lot of damage, a lot of beating. So for Bisping, on Bisping's side, it makes a lot of sense. This is a guy. He's a big-name guy. He comes back in. I can I can win the title again. I can keep the title. It'll be my second title offense, or right, second or third, second title offense. It'll make me uh, a better, a bigger name, because I beat GSP of just coming back. And it's a guy that's been out for a while. It makes complete sense. From GSP's side, it makes a lot of sense as well. He's not the best guy at the weight class. He just he just isn't. Michael Bisming's not. Um, he he is is it's unfortunate that he's getting this moniker because it's not what's happening, but he's being protected right now by the fights that he's getting, which is which is unfortunate for the way it's it's panning out. Um, but it's not what he's trying to do. Michael will fight whoever they put in front of him, but he is kind of being protected is, is the is the is the optical of it right now, is the view of it right now. It looks like he's being protected because getting these fighters, there's like a lot of guys at eighty five that want to fight. A lot of guys at eighty five are asking. You know, Romero, Jacques Souza, like these guys are all trying to get in there and he's fighting other guys that aren't necessarily in the in the next set of rankings uh so as a result, the weight class is kind of being hamstrung. Not even GSP in it's the same thing that happened at 45 with Conor McGregor. He had the belt but wasn't ever fighting at 45. Uh, uh, and so all these other guys in the weight class had to keep fighting other people to try to figure out who's number one. Same thing going to happen at 85. Who's really number one? GSP all of a sudden wins the belt. Like you said, he doesn't last one title offense. Because now who do you put him against? GSP beats Bisman. Who does GSP fight next? Anderson He's not Silva. You're like, now you got to fight Silva. Well, is that fight just as interesting as it would have been five years ago? That was the Manny Pacquiao uh, um, uh, Floyd Mayweather fight of MMA and it passed by. So it's not really that interesting. So you fight Sanderson Silva and, and we're still like, you didn't fight the best guy in the weight class it, who happens to be the champ right now. Um, then you go in and you fight the guy that, that is really on the downslide. Just talked about his last fight. We weren't really sure. Is he retiring? Is he not retiring? You know, You know, fighting is still in his heart, but what does that mean? We're not really sure what he was saying in his, in his post-fight uh, interview. And then all of a sudden, now you've you got him fighting two fights in a row. Uh, GSP means he's got two fights in a row. He beats the champion.
3: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Grainger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
4: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
2: Five, and then he fights this other guy that's not in the top 10. Well, Romero's still sitting there. You know, so so is so is, uh, 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 Jack Ray Sousa. He's still sitting there. So these guys are still sitting there waiting for this stuff to happen. And they're stuck. They're being hamstrung. Well, you can't do that. You can't do it the weight class. and it becomes a problem. Now GSP is, is attached to a negative thing as opposed to being attached to a positive thing. He's now hamstringing the weight class. So he's not going to want to do that. He's competitive. If he's coming back, which is the assumption, you've talked to him obviously more than I have. The assumption is he's still super competitive. Do you want to put him in a position where he's like, "You're ducking me, you're ducking me"? This hey, look, man, like I'm a, stand- I'm a number one contender for four fights. You're ducking me, and uh, now he's like, "Oh yeah, look, give me, give me Yo Romero." Well, now how does that fight go? I mean, that's bad for jo- George. That is bad. George gets hurt bad in a lot of different ways.
1: I think, I think, yeah, that's that's not a fight I'd like to see. The whole thing is this. I mean, people could say what they want about George St. Pierre and I, you know, I I know him on a personal level. We've known each other for a very long time. Uh, I don't want to see him come back. I've told him to his face. I said it in front of of about 500 to 600 people when we did um, uh, basically an intimate Q&A, what was called the Gentleman's Expo. Uh, That that video was online. Yep. I said, I I don't want to see him come back. But he just kind of, he put me in my place and I could just tell that he was in shape. Uh, He was actually wearing a very similar shirt. To this one here. Now, I kind of wear my shirts baggy. His was not baggy, Frank. And he was he was cut. I'll say that. He was ready to go. He wants to compete. I can tell you that. He does want to compete. He does have that fire again. He, there was a bit of a, an edge to George that evening. Um, I also look at it from, from the UFC perspective in terms of the new ownership. Obviously, they've, they've, there's a report they slashed 30 fighters. They got rid of 30 fighters. They're doing the tough redemption, which is a bunch of guys that have either won the show, or were finalists on the show, uh, and they're trying to bring that sort of angle back. They're looking to make money. That's their deal. Okay, it's it's not the fact that you know it's what's a priority to the Ultimate Fighting Championship, especially WME, IMG, whatever, NHL, whatever, whatever, whatever. Acronym you want to put to those guys. Yeah, ABC. They want to make money. So the money fight is never going to be, in my opinion, Bisping versus Romero. And we can all be the hardcore mixed martial arts fans and media that we love to be. That's not the money fight for the UFC. The money fight is Bisping versus George St. Pierre. Following that, if George St. Pierre wins. That Anderson Silva fight is what everybody wants to see because Bisping, for example, or sorry, GSP versus Yoel um, Romero versus GSP versus Anderson Silva, you know, you walk around the streets of whatever country you want to walk around. And if you say, who would you rather see? That GSP Anderson Silva fight is on everyone's the tip of their tongue. So, from a business perspective, from a money making perspective, it's fantastic for the UFC, terrible for the sport of mixed martial arts.
2: Yeah. So, which gets me to the Muhammad Ali act. And the reason why guys like Couture and Fitch and those guys are really pushing for this act to be pushed in the, in the MMA because it's already in boxing is because of the ranking system. You can't just arbitrarily make rankings is it, the process, which means Bismarck has to fight Yo Romero next. It's one versus two. That's what has to happen. Um, uh, and, I'm, and I'm downplaying it. There's a lot more that goes on to that, but that's what I'm talking about is that that position where now all of a sudden Bismarck's got to fight Romero. So, like, number one's got to fight number two. Then he bring a guy back like GSP who's um, – let's, let's not forget, GSP is an amazing effing athlete. The guy is incredible. You, you could have made him go – George, go play water polo. At eight years old, he would have been a world champion water polo player. You know, go, go do – we've all seen it. Go do – he gets tied into gymnastics at six years old. And that's the sport that he becomes uh, infatuated with. All of a sudden now he's an amazing gymnast. Like, GSP is just one of those athletes that no matter what you put him in, no matter what you, he puts his mind behind, he becomes – the top three or four percent in that particular sport. Like, this is what happens. Like he's just one of those guys. He's very driven. He's very athletic. He's got the timing and the ability to think about things as as things go. Now you bring him in with the Muhammad Ali Act in place. If you know if this say Muhammad Ali gets gets approved, now we've got to use it in MMA. GSP comes in. Where is he? Well, crap. He's thirtieth, right? He's ranked thirtieth now because he hasn't been in the sporting forever. He comes back in now. He's thirtieth. Now you have him fight guys that you've never even heard of. as GSP having to mill his way around at the bottom to get himself up. And I, I, I exaggerate. He wouldn't be ranked 30th. He'd be ranked 20th, but he'd have to fight 19 and keep working his way up, which makes no sense. So it's kind of a, a silly thing with a guy like GSP. But it makes sense to guys like Romero and Jacare and the rest of the guys in the weight class because they're all waiting for their turn. It, this is a very interesting process. I will say this. The new owners, and, and, and this gonna get me a lot of trouble, just, just so we know. The new owners at the UFC do not understand mixed martial arts. They don't understand it. They don't understand how sport it actually works. What they do understand is how to make money and how to put out a, an amazingly good product. And I think the product is going to get better overall production, overall packages, overall sellage. Like I think after we get through the, the, the Mike Goldberg debacle, I think once we get cleared ourselves from that process, it's going to become an amazing product. The problem is they really don't understand fights. They really don't understand how the fighting game really is. Be, be honest, Joe. Be honest. Did you think Ronda Rousey was going to beat Amanda Nunes? No. Back? No, I said Amanda would win that fight early. So, the betting line, obviously, the fans were going, which, which, which have a lot of new fans. And, and no, no disrespect, guys, but you guys, a lot of our new fans are buying into the packages. They're buying into the hype. They're buying into the, it's all over. They're buying into Mike Goldberg and Joe Rogan's taglines. They're buying into that. And like, oh, yeah, Ronda's going to crush Rona Ronda's going to crush you. So the betting line was saying, hey, Ronda, we're saying Ronda, because that's where the fans are putting their money. Everyone, everybody I talk to, because I'm looking at these betting lines, I'm like, this is nuts. I'm going through, I'm talking to everybody. Every, every bookmaker, every odds maker, everybody I know that's in the top end of the sport, I'm like, I disagree completely with the line. Like, what's happening here? And they're like, no, no, this is just what's going on. This is how it's working. The new owners believed Ronda was going to win. They really believed it. They, oh, she she crush this girl. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. We're going to have our champ back. It's going to be amazing. They really thought that she was going to win. They're like, you guys don't really understand how the sport goes. You don't get how the, what's happening here. If you really believe in that hype, that you don't understand, this is this is not what's going to happen. Um, they have a lot of growing to do. As every new owner of any company, I don't care if you're a new owner of, of the dojo down the street, there is, and you take over somebody's jujitsu academy, it's going to be, a lot of growing pains, unless you were a blue belt, got advanced to pearl belt, got advanced to brown belt, got advanced to black belt, all in the same academy with the same instructor, and that instructor is like, hey, I'm going to retire now. I'm giving you the, the academy. Please take over and do good by our students. Then I was saying "Like, yeah, I've been here since I was a blue belt. I know how everything works. I was taught how the internal works. There's very little hiccups, which is why a lot of sports academies, people don't understand, like, how come the academy uh, can make the transfer so easily? Because it's a student that's been there for years, takes over, or the academy is closed. There, there is there is no transitional period because that guy understands what's going on. The new owners of the UFC were not in hanging out in the back with Dana. They weren't walking around with Dana. They weren't flying and going on the 48 state tour when no one approved the states. When no one approved the 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 no one was with these guys. weren't with Dana when he was up in Ontario smacking guys in the head. Like, look, the sport is completely safe. Let's make this thing happen. No one was with, they weren't worth Dana down in New York. This is going to be approved. Like this, this is, you guys are stupid. You're costing yourselves monies and problems. And, and if you don't have us in here, like this is incredible. Like you, you were, you were costing yourselves $10 million a weekend. Every single time the UFC comes in, they weren't worth Dana during that time. When they were with Dana, I think I'm going to give you $4.2 billion to buy this thing. Let's spend the next three months working together. Everything was golden at that point. They've already gone through all the struggles and the rights. They didn't see how all that stuff got there. There's going to be growing pains. We're in the middle of those growing pains right now, and unfortunately, GSP is going to be one of those growing pains. What are we going to do with them? Where are you going to place them? How's it going to be?
1: Well, one thing that you know, ownership uh, will not have to worry about. Uh, and I asked Sean Pearson this question yesterday. <laughs> he, just based, he was getting to the point uh, at, at, during this part of the show where he was running out of, uh, I'll just say the, uh, the F, I won't say the F word, but he was running out of Fs. Okay? It was hilarious. I said, well, Sean, uh, Brock Lesnar has informed the UFC and USADA of his retirement. He almost lost his mind. Uh, what's your take on that?
2: Man, come on. Uh, I, I get so pissed off with this situation because it really screwed up a lot of other people. It really did. So Angela Hill. Okay. Because of the Brock Lesnar debacle, she can't get in the UFC when she's supposed to get in. And I'm, I'm watching this process. Brian Butler, her manager for Sucker Punch is a friend of mine as result, And because I trained with Max Holloway out here in, in Hawaii, it's I'm I'm intimate with a lot of his athletes. Whether they know me or not, I'm following their records. I'm following what they do because I love him as a manager. So I'm following what happens. She's in. She's in. She's getting ready. She's like I'm in. I'm back. I'm in the UFC. This is gonna be amazing. I can't. I'm back. 24 hours later, she's crying, putting on a thing. I'm not in because of the Usada. Now I have to have a four month a four month uh, um, absence. You know, or I'll be on test after to, to be on test for four months for Usada. Lesnar gets by it for whatever reason. Uh, come on, man. This guy has been on been on juice for who knows how long. Before college, during college, I mean, obviously through his whole WWE career. Like, let's just be obvious about it. He's on something, whether it's low-level uh, uh, testosterone um, or, or legal, legal like seeing a doctor, getting prescribed testosterone, or human growth hormone, which is which is illegal underneath Usada, but legal uh, for for non non drug tested athletes, right? So he could have been doing this completely legal and, and been fine with it and done it that way or he was doing whatever else he was. Now I was he's like, I'm announcing my retirement from my mate. Like, best of all, stop testing him and leave him alone. You know what I'm saying? That's, once you retire, they can't test you anymore. He's like, okay, so I'm going to stop testing me. There's going to be no more surprise. Oh, look, Brock's, Brock failed another drug test because he's got these 97 things in his system or these three things in his system, which are illegal by USADA. It doesn't matter, right? What does Brock really bring to the table? Is he, is he going to be a contender at the heavyweight title? Is he is he is he going to get back in there and, and fight for this big no is is he going to be anybody that that we're really the only thing he really does is bring and, and when you talk about pay-per-view numbers you like, Conor McGregor is the best pay-per-view number guy in the world. he's kind amazing and kind of Conor's great as the only mixed martial arts fighter if you just if you just put in there mixed martial arts guys you bring in Brock Lesnar you got to throw you got to throw everybody else out like Brock kills it when it comes to pay-per-view because the crossover so it's really a money grab for Brock what's he money grabbing for especially in a sport where You're going to get tested. You're going to fail again. You're going to have that suspension. It's going to be a mark. Now it's your second time failing underneath the new rules. So now you have this big problem. And really, do the fans care? Do the fans care anymore? mixed martial arts. In WWE, am I watching every single one of his matches? You better believe it. I'm watching that gargantuan, athletic bastard jump off the top rope and smash guys' face. Like, I'm watching every single one of them. It's incredible. But MMA, I don't care. I don't care if he retired. I thought he retired anyway. I thought he retired the first time. I didn't think he was coming back. For his last fight, I didn't think he was going to make it back in again. But I I said the same thing about GSP, but yet here we are.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Things are so fluid in mixed martial arts, they can change, uh, you know, overnight. Uh, I want to just touch on real quick before we get onto this UFC Halifax card. Even, even that we'll touch on very, very quickly, Frank. But I want to get your thoughts on what happened in the main event between Holly Holm and, and Jermaine Durand and me, especially from a referee's perspective, because uh, obviously, you know, I, I know Todd. Todd Anderson, the referee, uh, actually took the course with me. Um, mm-hmm. So I know he's a good referee, and unfortunately, he's probably going to be labeled for now uh, for – one boat, and people are ripping him apart for not taking away a point. The first time, GDR did that, and the second time, GDR did that. Uh, but from your perspective, uh,
2: what went through your mind when you were watching that fight? And, and just overall, in general, the whole situation? Now, I want to remind everybody, these are my opinions on this particular faction. If you really want to know uh, right or wrong, always check in with John McCarthy or Herb Dean. They are the top end of the heat. They get and understand everything. So this is my understanding from the conversations I've had with other officials. And 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 kind of putting it together on my own, uh, but like I said, these are exclusively my opinion. They are not the opinion of, of Frightful MMA or Joe Frazier. My personal opinion. You don't like it, yell at me. Well, if you like it, yell at me. If you don't like it, yell at Joe. And that's just how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Let purple take the heat. So, um, clacker goes off. Clack clack clack, or clack clack, however the however the timekeeper does it. Um, Ten seconds. If you notice, I have a very weird style of coming in and stopping fights, and you probably haven't seen it because it's tough to see. Because I'm still on the undercard, which is where I belong. I don't belong on a main event. It's not where where things are at. They give me a main event at, this weekend at Bellator. I'm taking it. Like, believe me, I'm not turning anything down. But I'm not going to be in a title fight. I'm not going to be. I'm not doing Fedor Mitreon. I joked and said, "Hey, the off, you know, C-Sec offered it to me. I told him, no, I think, you know, Big John McCarthy likes Fedor better than I do. He should take it.' Like, I had a choice. Like, I'm not getting that fight. It's not going to happen. I don't. I don't deserve. I don't have the numbers in to be up there. Um. So it's tough to see how I stop fights because you you don't you don't really see how it goes. But the clacker goes off. I get I get in really close, and you start seeing me blading. I start turning, right. I start turning sideways. I'm gonna move my computer back a little bit so I can get a little better angle so you can see it better. But so my style is I'm getting in. We get to five. I'm counting in my head. You know, five, four, three. I get to five. I start turning my side sideways. I start getting in so I can get in to stop it. I'm blading this way because I'm lifting my shoulder up. And my left hand, because everybody knows I'm left-handed, this is my normal protection. So I keep coming in because I'm going to be close enough where I'm going to get smacked. I am 100% going to get hit. At some point in my refereeing career, I am going to get knocked down. (laughs) It's going to be a heavyweight that does it. It's going to be like a Travis Brown, and I'm going to step inside and try to get get ready to stop the fight. The bell hasn't rung yet, and I'm going to get cracked because Badoom slips his head back, and I catch the hook. And so I got my hands up, so I'm protected. Once the bell goes off, once I hear that bell, and I'm, ca- I'm counting down, so I'm getting, like, I know the bell's about to go off, my hand goes through. I put my hand right through the center, and it tells me, now as I'm looking down my hand, I use my middle finger as my center line. And because I'm bladed, it is my center line. The bell has rung. My hand is there. Anything that crosses over my, my middle finger is now after the bell. It's after the bell. So now I know that was an illegal blow because it was after the bell because my hand doesn't come in. I don't come in, ding. It comes in, ding, then my hand's in. So now the round is over. Anything that happens after that, I know it's after the bell. I can gauge it. I know what's going to happen. I can now take the point away or give the warning or do whatever I have to do. I know these things now because I set myself up for that. Love Anderson. Love him. He's a great guy. I have had the opportunity to meet him when I was was still fighting. Um, Talked to him a little bit when I was commentating with you uh, up in Canada. Like, he's a great guy. He's a great ref. He's a great ref. Just in that one particular fight, and it happens that every single human being on the planet, we always have a slightly off day. The problem is with refereeing, if you have a slightly off day, you get monikered for being a bad rep. You get monikered for not, you know, for being horrible. And then he was just slightly off. And all he was slightly was off at, and my personal opinion was he just wasn't in there close enough because these two women are trying to smack the crap out of each other, and he's trying to stay out of the way of the kicks and the punches. And that's what's happening. So he gets in there, he gets in there just. Like, it's the bell, and instead of being bell, hand in, or bell, stop, right? It's bell, stop. So, all of us are taught, every single athlete is taught, fight until the ref stops you. I lost a million dollars because I didn't because I stopped fighting.
1: Oh, my God. I was, I, I some way, I, I knew you were going to bring this up because I didn't want to mention uh, the whole Yamasaki thing, but I, I was like, today, I bet you Frank's going to bring this up. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. It, it was, this is... And let's talk about this. It's it's over ten years. It's over ten years ago, and it still crushes me. I'm not gonna lie. It still crushes me. That was my million dollar fight. I'm talking about obviously for the folks at home, the GSP or yeah GSP, the Hughes trig part two fight. Um, that's Dana's favorite, one of his favorite fights of all time. Uh, I had Matt beat, and I kind of stopped because his eyes rolled up in his head. I'm like, this guy's out. He's unconscious. So let me come on, Mario. Just stop the fight. So I'm pitter pattering, and then Matt comes back in. And you can see the refs. I end up losing again. So they're they're. We're taught, do not stop until the ref stops you. Jermaine was doing what she was supposed to be doing. Geronimo was supposed to be, was doing what she was supposed to be doing, fighting until the ref stops you. She got in there and kept throwing. Um, should it have been – it's tough to tell because, because I'm at home watching on TV. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, drinking with – actually, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm with TJ Thompson, um, the, old, the old promoter of, of Icon. Um, I'm with my buddy Gary Price and my Paul, and my buddy Paul, and we're all sitting there, all stunt guys on 5-0, we're all sitting here watching at Buffalo Wild Wings. And I'm drinking and talking and doing this and looking back and forth at the TV, and I didn't catch the second one. I saw it in the replay. When she did it again, I saw it in the replay. I didn't actually see it live. So I'm trying to make an opinion on something that I wasn't in there for. And I wasn't really fully paying attention, which most of us at home were not fully paying attention. Most of us in the arena were not fully paying attention. So we're not really sure what actually happened in there. We see the camera, we're like, oh, that was horrible, but you don't know how if, if she pulled a punch as she was coming in, if, if it was uh, didn't make full contact, you know, there's all these other factors that go into it. And Anderson's right there. He's standing right next to it, and he's fully vested in this thing. So he didn't take a point away. It's a decision process. You know, it's it's a it's a, I can I can take points away from you for grabbing the fence one time, or I can give you a, a harsh stern warning, or I can just give you a simple verbal warning. Get your hands out, of, don't touch the fence again. Get your fingers out of the fence. Like, it, there's all sorts of different things that can happen. I gotta be honest with you. In that same position, the way that he was, the way that he was positioned, I don't think I would have called it any differently. But my hope is that in the same position, I would be in a different position. I would be closer into it, so I'd have more time to get in there and, and stop it. I'd be, have, be able to have the ability to, to cut it before it goes off. We got to see. Now the question becomes: Don't worry about what he's going to be labeled. Anderson's going to be labeled. What's going to happen with uh, uh, Jermaine going on? All the rest, all the other refs that pay attention be like, okay, so you understand. The moment you feel hear me yell, stop, the moment you see my hand, the moment you hear the bell, like whatever, whatever the situation is, and it's really loud in the ring. You can't, you can barely hear the horn when you're fighting sometimes, uh, as a fighter, let alone hear the bell. Like you can't hear the bell most because you're in the middle of exhaling and punching and cracking and trying to fight. You don't know what the hell's going on. You know, you don't know any of the stuff that's going on. So it's up to the ref, and the refs really gotta get in and stop it. They're gonna give her a warning in the in the locker room in the back. Hey. The bell comes off. You got to stop. You got to stop. Like that. That's it. You got to. You got to quit doing it. enough to take a point away. And then, if if this is her, habitual for her, it'll be, get a point taken away. Just like the eye pokes for John Jones. Now it's a, now it's a, it's a whole new rule because because of this guy. So now it's a whole different thing that uh, he'll get he'll get penalized right away. But that's just the advantage from the sport. We got to see, man. I honestly, Anderson was just a, was just a little bit off. He wasn't completely off. He's not a bad ref. He's not a bad guy. He had he had. Out of 100%, being there 100%, he was there 95%. It's just that 5% that, that now we're all going to remember, which sucks. Which I feel bad for him for that. But we'll see what happens, how things how things process out. And, of course, it makes the Nevada State Athletic Commission look bad as well. Yeah. No, I was actually New York. I'm sorry. Yeah, I said Nevada. I'm sorry, New York. I yeah, think it ends. So which
1: is kind of what people are talking about it's New York and this is that and they don't have, you know, the experience in terms of MMA and I'm like it, it has nothing to do with the commission if you if you want to think about it because, you know, Todd Anderson's been in, you know, in Ontario refing for quite some time. He's done a variety of of UFC events and other events. So he is definitely a qualified ref. Uh, you know, and and even if it wasn't Someone that I know personally, if it was any other ref, because I've taken the course, because I can see it through the lens of a referee, I can understand where that error could take place. I can also understand where the coaching is going to take place afterwards to say, hey, you know what, next time you need to consider doing this or perhaps work on this. So I totally get that. Now, we are running out of time here. I do want to get three, th- three opinions from you. Um, yeah. Three belts. The first one will be... Um, a couple minutes ago, we got um, Fedor versus Mitrione at Bellator, an event you'll be refing at. Uh, are you able to give commentary or, or thoughts on that fight at all?
2: Yeah, it's tough. To, it's tough to say. You know, I, I'm, I gotta have an opinion. I'm not. I'm not a Neanderthal. I'm not a. I'm not a robot. i would always have an opinion. Um, which you know, Mitrione's athletic and incredible and, and amazing, and, and like he's really working his ass off since he moved over to Bellator to prove that he can be one of the best heavyweights out there. No matter how. No matter what organization he's in. Um, Fedor, why is he back? What's his motivation? Like, why is he why is he back all of a sudden? Why is he trying to repeat again? Like, what's the motivation? If it's a, if it's a money grab, not good for Fedor. We saw the way Henderson beat him up. We saw the way that Radoon beat him up. We're watching these guys, uh, was it wasn't it Bigfoot beat him up? He's not doing very well in his last little bit. He, he fought over in Ryzen and had a, a great little showing, but he's not <clears throat> he's not the top of his game anymore. So who shows up? It's going to be a very interesting fight. A very interesting fight. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I have to I have to lean towards Rohn right now because he's the more active. I do like how, how Bellator does things. We saw this happen with Big Mo and Rampage. Big Mo was trained with, with Chael Sonnen, in, you know, the, the whole, like, three, four days before the Tito Ortiz fight. They were all trained together. And then that night, they announced uh, Rampage and, and, and King Mo. Sonnen goes and talks to, to King Mo afterwards, like, why don't you mention it? Like, we were training the whole week. Why don't you mention something like that? He's like, I don't know. I, I, I didn't know. I had no idea. Same thing happened with Federer Mitrion. Mitch, I saw Mitchell when they're making the announcement. He had no idea what was going on. He had no clue what was going on until they made the announcement. So you're setting blank bout agreements.
1: Oh, it's
2: wow! The date and time opponent. I don't know who my opponent is yet. And so that's how none of this stuff was getting out. Beltor, is. It's very easy for three people to keep a secret when two people are dead, right? <laughs> that's how it works. So they're just skipping the having to kill two other people and not telling the fighters who they're fighting. And it's keeping them separate, not letting them know what's going on. That, that's how they're doing it. And so it's very ingenious. And so now you have less time to train for somebody. Now you have less time to know what's happening because they're making the announcement for, in about eight weeks. So you're like, you've been working out trying to get ready. Oop, here's my opponent. I was working out the wrong way. It's a totally different fight now. So this is, this is going to be interesting to see how this fight pans out. But I'm definitely leaning towards Metro.
1: All right, uh, we move over to UFC Halifax, uh, an event taking place, obviously, in Canada. I won't mention any Canadian fighters, obviously, because we're, we're a little bit lapsed on time here. Uh, but in the co-main event, Johnny Hendricks moves up to 185 pounds. Hector Lombard competing now at middleweight. Uh, your thoughts on that scrap there?
2: I think, both, I think that Johnny's going to be better and Hector's going to be worse. I think Johnny's been cutting way too much weight uh, for a long time. Like, he stopped wrestling because he was cutting weight. He, he got tired of cutting weight after college. He could have been a world champ, I believe. I, th- I think he definitely would have made the, the U.S. Olympic team uh, an Olymp- and the U.S. world team for wrestling if he had stuck with it. But he got tired of, of cutting weight, and his body was falling apart and was hurting. So now he gets into a problem where he's not making weight anymore at 170. He's gotten older. He's gotten bigger. He's you know, It's just, just how things go. Metabolism's changed in the whole bit. Uh, I think Johnny's better at 185. I really do think he's better. I think he can make a, a bit of a run. Do right? I think he's going to be able to beat guys like Joel Romero and, and Ray Souza? I don't think so. But I do believe he's going to make a, better, a bit of a run. Up at this weight class. I really do. Um, Lombard, I think he's going to be worse because the whole reason why he's so good is because he's so powerful and so explosive down there. He's not a grinder. Like, Hendricks is a grinder. He kind of leans on you and makes you tired. and That takes a lot of energy. Well, Lombard's going to be a lot more explosive. He jumps into submissions. He tries to rip stuff off. But doesn't. if he doesn't explosively get it, then he kind of has to change his gears. Um, he tires a lot quicker. I think both guys have more energy. Uh, but in this one, it's very difficult to, to grab. But I'm leaning towards Johnny Hendricks.
1: All right, main event: Derek Lewis taking on Travis Brown, who has left uh, Edmund's camp, uh, has been training elsewhere.
2: Uh, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, he's over at Kings MMA, or no, Black House. He's at Black House now with Machida and, and Silva and the rest of those cats. Um, uh, late though, he transferred late. Like he, I think he moved over like a month before um, the fight. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a twelve week camp. He just kind of switched over. Obviously, he had to make a switch. There's nothing at Glendale Boxing Club with Edmund. There's no, there's nobody from the train with. There's no, there's no one that trains there anymore except for Ronda. And we're not even sure Rhonda's still training there at this point. Is she retired, or is she or is she uh, um, changing camps as well? We're not real sure, or clear on that yet. But, yeah, uh, uh, Travis made the move. Normally I would pick Travis over, over Derek Lewis. Normally that, that'd be the case. But he hasn't had a full training camp underneath a new set of coaches, and that worries me. Um, and Derek Lewis has been on a tear as of late. He's really been good. I got to say it's a razor thin split, but I'm going towards Derek Lewis.
1: Interesting. All right, uh, let's wrap this up here before we let you go. Uh, what's next for you? What's going on? Where can we see you on television and movies, or, or what's just happening? Mostly Bellator, Mike, I correct?
2: Bellator this weekend for sure. Um, I'll be on a Spike, the Spike dot com card portion of it. I assume I haven't got my assignments yet. Won't get them until uh, Saturday when I get there. It's going to be very interesting to see where they put me and how they place me. There's four of us, and there's uh, a lot of bouts. There's 18 bouts uh, that are that are total. Um, of course, there's only uh, I think it's four or five that are actually on on uh, um, Spike TV. Uh, the rest of them, we, we'll kind of have to panel out, so I believe I'll be, uh, I'll be doing a lot of the undercard to give uh, uh, Herzog, Beltran, and McCarthy a bit of a break before it gets to the main card. And then um, uh, after that, I got uh, the second-to-last um, episode on Lethal Weapon. will be coming up here pretty soon. I'll be on that. Um, and then a couple episodes of Y5O that are coming up. You'll see me on that. And then I'm in the middle of negotiating a couple of acting deals. Uh, one... It's filmed in China, but gonna be aired here in the States. And then um, the other oh, I'm and I'm shooting a movie on uh, March thirteenth. I'm not sure the name of it. I just just got the they haven't sent me the script yet. I just got signed to it, but I'm not sure what the script is. It's it's mid-budget, so it's not like I have to know everything that's going on. It's one of those mid-budget deals, so let me know in the next couple of weeks. But I'm filming that March thirteenth, I start, and I'm not sure how long I go for on that one.
1: Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, although he is our Thursday co-host, we may be losing him. Uh, I don't know what what happens in China, dude. If you take your computer to China, if you can actually – because I think Google's banned there. They've removed Google, so I might lose you.
4: No, but I have
2: a – don't you worry about me, son. I got a (laughs) backdoor. I've already already started talking about it. The moment – I was like, I called my friend uh, who's helping negotiate this deal who's also Chinese. I'm like, hey, man, I got this thing I got to do, and I have to do it on Google. Like, it's banned over there, right? Like, what do I do? He's like, well, you know, there's – yeah, it's banned. But, you know, there's ways around. I'm okay, all right. We'll try to figure this thing out. So Yeah, we'll definitely right. get, it, we'll get it worked out. It won't be for very long. It'll only be for – if it happens, it won't be until end of summer, and it'll be, like, maybe a month or six weeks. It won't be too long.
1: So. All right. Perfect, perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, follow Frank on social media, at Frank Trigg, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, I think you're also on Facebook, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. All right. A- make sure you give him a follow. It is him. Like he said, it is him that replies. Please, if you do send him a message, give him the benefit of the doubt because uh, he could be traveling. Remember, there's a time zone difference. Uh, it is still morning there. I, I mean, I feel bad that he hasn't had a coffee yet. I'm on number <laughs> three, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know. I'm all
2: right. I got a monster in. I'm doing okay.
1: There you go. There you go. All right, guys. Uh, listen, thank you to everyone who's tuned in live. Uh, for those that follow us afterwards, make sure you catch us on iTunes, catch us on Stitcher. Of course, FightfulMMA.com for all of your news, all your mixed martial arts news. Give us a follow on there as well. And you can follow yours truly at Showdown Joe. But for now, thank you to everyone who tuned in. Wish you guys the very best. Uh, there'll be no podcast tomorrow. I'll return with Sean Rossap on Sunday. We will discuss the Fedor Mitrion event, uh, the Bellator event, that fight there, uh, everything around Bellator, as well as the UFC Halifax card. For now, thank you very much for watching.
3: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes